0: Today we're discussing the unconscious bias and how it may specifically impact the LGBT population. I am Dr. Jennifer Caudill, host of Everyday Family Medicine on ReachMD. With me today is Josh Corin, D.O., Chair and Associate Professor of Family Medicine at Rowan University School of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Corrin, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much, Dr. Carl. I appreciate being here. So let's first start talking about the unconscious bias. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to look into this topic in the first place?
1: There are many special populations that physicians see within their practice settings and also in the hospital settings on a daily basis and I've always been fascinated about how uh, we as physicians provide care to all populations uh, ideally making sure that we're providing non-judgmental care to really enhance the overall health for the populations we serve so when I look at care and I look at what happens within care there are these unconscious biases that physicians may have and I'll give you an example of how that works. Physicians are busy. You know, we've got busy schedules. We've got lots of patients on our schedules. So as we run from patient to patient, sometimes our brain takes over. And when the brain takes over, there are multiple parts of our brain that are making these judgments. Our frontal cortex is processing lots of information. Our temporal lobe is giving us some idea of past impressions about situations we may experience and then our amygdala is, is also focusing in on the fear factor. So these things are working while we're providing care in this very fast-paced environment. And when we see a patient, our brain sometimes takes over and it does things. And what happens sometimes is like when you have ketchup on your shirt. You could walk around all day long and not notice that you've got ketchup on your shirt. And then a patient or a staff member or another colleague of yours may say to you, hey, doc, you've got ketchup on your shirt. You never realized that you had it on your shirt, and you want it off. You want to get liquid detergent and get that ketchup off your shirt. So I I look at unconscious bias in the same way, where I think doctors really have great intentions to provide excellent care in a non-judgmental fashion, but sometimes we get ketchup on our shirt. Sometimes our brain actually takes over, and it doesn't recognize, and we don't recognize for that matter, what has happened. But when others help us recognize it for us, ideally the doc who's in practice wants to correct that, that behavior and certainly make it better for our patients.
0: Thank you. I think those are some really interesting examples of the unconscious bias. And I guess from a very practical sort of evidence-based standpoint, does the term and the phrase unconscious bias, does it have sort of a formal textbook definition that you would say, or is it best represented by some of the examples you just gave?
1: Sure. So it's it's really representing prejudice against a people or group. And when it's unconscious, you're not recognizing that you're doing it typically. So Uh, You can have bias that's forthright where it's conscious and it's directed at a group, but in this case, what may happen within care is that due to the various constraints and certainly busy schedules that providers have, this is at an unconscious or subconscious level where there's potential prejudice against a group of people, and that's where, unfortunately, because of that, care can then be somewhat disparate between populations.
0: How big is the problem? Do we have any numbers or estimates about how often this may happen or how many people are affected?
1: Not certain the prevalence, uh, but certainly it's something that, that we're seeing within special populations uh, due to the facts that we have populations. For instance, uh, one of the populations I focus on is patients uh, with disabilities. and as an example, we find that there's a decreased screenings for patients with disabilities on certain health risk factors, such as smoking and or substance abuse and or sexual activity. And, and the question becomes, is there a, an unconscious bias that the patient, let's say, with a disability may not have sexual activity? And because of that, now there's less discussion and counseling on sexually transmitted infections and protection use during sexual activity. So I think that we see it based off of the endpoint data where there's uh, less questions in the interview uh, related to things that we typically ask the population that's not within the special group, but... Not so much a data point that I know of as to how prevalent it is within medicine.
0: Let's focus also on the LGBT community. I, I think most physicians would agree and are aware of discrimination that the that members of the LGBT community often face. What findings strike you the most as you think about this, or what types of examples might you have with regards to this?
1: Well, this is a, it's a great question and certainly a, a very contemporary topic that we're seeing within news media and, and really even in healthcare. About ten percent of our, our population declares their sexual orientation as something outside of heterosexual, and that could include homosexuality, bisexual, or or other. So within these groups, many patients have had poor experiences, poor encounters within healthcare climates, and and that's because of uh, both uh, unconscious bias and sometimes even uh, direct bias against the population. And what happens is these population groups then we know are at higher risk of anything based off their age groups from uh, childhood bullying within a uh, school system and higher suicide rates and mental health conditions upwards through their adolescent and adult phases where there's increased substance abuse risks and even domestic violence increase. It could even branch out to uh, other concerns such as eating disorders. We also see that there are increased sexually transmitted infections. Uh, within these populations. So they're higher at risk for HIV and many of the uh, both bacterial and viral STIs that we see within the uh, populations. Uh, What we find is that these biases may then make it more difficult for the patient to feel comfortable and find a trust level within their provider to open up and discuss their concerns about domestic violence or risks of potential for sexually transmitted infections.
0: So my next question really then brings us to, you know, what we as physicians can do to help this issue. You brought up a really important issue uh, about unconscious bias, and and that brings two things to mind to me is, you know, as physicians, what can we do about this issue, which is an issue for many of us, and, and how do we even
1: vet our own attitudes as physicians? How do we even become aware of maybe what our own unconscious biases is? Are. As physicians, we have to start out by evaluating our own beliefs, and in this case, about the LGBT patients. So, physicians come in with various personal, religious, uh, and moral beliefs, and ideally they should be separated from the healthcare setting because discomfort or bias within these settings could then fractionate the care that's going to be provided to that patient within your office. Both AMA and the AOA have affirmative action attitudes that really are pro-care-for-all involved. If you look backwards, we really have great 1964 legislation from the Civil Rights Act on equal rights for all, including age, race, gender. We don't really have in the Civil Rights Act as much of a hard stance on sexual orientation Uh, But the AMA and the AOA have really come out with really pro-sexual orientation language to to make sure that we're providing care in an affirmative way for our patient base. So what I'd recommend first is evaluating your own beliefs and then trying to assess whether or not those beliefs may interfere within the context of a clinical visit. There are certain types of biases that may come into play. So uh, we may see that something along the lines of homophobia, which is fear of like, fearing of, of like parties, and that may be from religious beliefs, and that may also be from moral or personal beliefs, and separating those to ensure that your patient understands that you're ideally trying to be open in that care visit. There's also heterosexism beliefs, too, which is where there's a bias towards one's sexual orientation. In that case, uh, if let's say the, the, the person is heterosexual, they may be more biased towards heterosexism, and for that matter, you may find that they will show in their visit that homosexuality doesn't even exist, uh, providing disparate care. So ideally, it's trying to to leave those at the front door, uh, not to say that it's easy to remove those from your persona, because the parts of your brain have them inside, but more so learning to, to remove those from the visit itself and asking patients uh, questions that are open-ended. So. One thing to think about is when you're asking patients questions, if let's say you're trying to get a relationship status, instead of asking uh, a, a female who comes into the office, um, um, can you tell me about your, your husband, what he does, uh, if, if you see that, that the person's married, you might want to actually start off the question by asking, uh, can you tell me about your relationship, which is not gender specific, but more so just an open-ended question.
0: That's a great example, I think, of something very practical to keep in mind for us physicians. Um, you know, if you have any other examples like that, it'd be great to share them as well. But I'm I'm actually curious, as a family physician myself, you know, what have other physicians said maybe when you've told them about some of the, the, the research that you're doing in terms of looking into this topic and presenting and lecturing on it? How do other physicians respond when you talk about this?
1: You know, it's, it's been interesting. I think a lot of a lot of what I've been seeing uh, over the past years has been uh, uh, curiosity by physicians, and that comes out in different ways. Sometimes it comes out in questions of uh, uncertainty and, and certainly uh, uh, fear that they're going to be presented with a case that they don't know how to handle. Uh, other times, uh, there are their own unconscious biases or biases may come into the questions themselves, but I think a doctor ultimately wants to provide good care, good clinical care and really be very uh, uh inclusive of the patient uh, so the questions i've gotten ranged from um, um, you know how how in the office setting uh, are we supposed to provide care uh, you know that's different from what we currently do um, to more direct questions, which are: uh, If we have uh, uh, LGBT affirmative uh, welcoming uh, posters or brochures within the in the environment, uh, couldn't that insult other patients in the waiting room? Uh, which is interesting because now they're turning it to a different direction, which is: What if we have somebody who uh, comes in who is uh, homophobic or heterosexist, and they're another patient, and you're displaying affirmative action? Uh, for your patient who comes in who's an LGBT patient and they take offense, uh, th- I think the doctor feels that they're trying to make all parties happy in that context. So I- I've-, I've gotten an array of questions, uh, everything from just general care to, uh, to uh, situations that really are not directly involving the patient that also directly involve the, the office setting. So um, I-, I've- I found it very interesting to see that there's needs for training. And what we're seeing is that states like New Jersey – is requiring uh, cultural competency training for all doctors uh, through their board of medicine. So now every single doctor that comes out uh, and trains in New Jersey must show they've they've got cultural competency, six credits of it uh, within their training to get their licensure. So uh, that's one state. Uh, there are others that also have that, but uh, that are really focusing in on trying to provide cultural competency within care. And that's because we're within the U.S., a very diverse population of many different groups, uh, and the LGBT population is one of those many groups.
0: Thank you very much. Um, You know, just in closing, is there anything else you might want to add for any physicians out there that are listening or your thoughts about how uh, this this concept of unconscious bias is going to play out in the future for us as physicians? Any final thoughts for us?
1: Absolutely, I, I believe that in, in, in the medical school system today and, and residencies, uh, we're really doing a great job focusing on uh, cultural competency, the social detriments of health, and really starting to get more into the who is our population we serve. Uh, we're doing that very well, actually. Uh, and I think that we need to continue to involve uh, continuing medical education uh, within the uh, greater context of physicians and allied healthcare professionals. Uh, to make sure that we're really learning things that are possibly newer concepts for some, uh, we, we've we've been seeing that more and more uh, of our providers are asking for guidance on uh, how to provide uh, uh, effective care so that we're not having these catch up on the shirt moments and we're having these unconscious biases get into uh, our visits. But uh, certainly, uh, I, I see the medical schools around the country, are doing a really good job incorporating this training within the uh, pre-doctoral curriculums.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Corrin, for joining us today and sharing your insights on unconscious bias. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Caudill, and you've been listening to Everyday Family Medicine on ReachMD. To download this podcast and others in the series, please visit us at reachmd.com slash everydayfamilymedicine. And we encourage you to like, share, and comment on this podcast.